So some questions here. And if, um, to consider the questions that would be most useful for everyone's practice. Because naturally they individual questions, but something that everyone might benefit from considering. Can you please discuss how faith in the triple gem and trust in one's own karma can help to support a person experiencing doubt and can also support and prepare the experience of receiving as opposed to doing? How to cultivate and nurture these So the experience of doubt or vichikicca, this is, uh, it can seem like it's an intellectual topic, but actually it may have intellectual ramifications, like I don't quite know what's going on, or give me some more information, or could you tell me the way to so-and-so. But, um, you know, that, that is... You know, pointing to what we experience is of uncertainty, perhaps insecurity. You know, what's going on? I feel suddenly I haven't got any ground because I don't know where I'm going or I don't have the required information. So it's a sense of beginning to sense of having no ground, you might say. Yeah? What is absent with doubt? A sense of security and, and strength and, and um, you know, basis. Yeah? So... Mm. Um, but if we explore that quality of doubt and tease it out, you know, then uh, you know, doubt just about street names or directions is a fairly minor thing. But then it can evolve into doubt about uh, um, oneself, one's life, whether life is worth living. <laughs> and it can escalate into deep despair and depression. You know, I think the, you know, the, the, highest kind of doubt or the most supreme kind of doubt is this existential doubt in wow, no ground, you know, on anything. Nothing is worth, nothing is solid anymore. It's all just dissolving. Uh, you know, can't really trust this, don't feel really, this doesn't work, this is, this is just a fantasy, this is just hype, this is impossible, this, I don't get this at all. Where do I, where do I find my ground? Hmm. Uh, and then if one can't, indeed, life gets very perilous and um, people will generally just hold on to something in order to get some, some sense of grounding. And we generally would hold on to various things such as, obviously, our possessions or our, our job or our um, beliefs. You know, gives me a sense of security, like fundamentalism, you know is a strong indication of insecurity. You know, if you have to believe something that hard, then you really must have a lot of, not much ground, because people can believe in the, seem the most ridiculous things. Um, and, and you notice this is quite prevalent, fundamentalism, because, because of the insecurity of a human context. Yeah. But of course, such ground as as these things create is 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 neither skillful nor long lasting. So generally, with fundamentalism, for example, you have to keep convincing other people you're right as well <laughs> to just keep you know getting some more voltage running through that belief system. You have to preach it and have get-togethers and all. Yay! This is what we believe in, just to keep it charged up. Trying to be a fundamentalist on your own is a bit tricky. <laughs> I mean, you can do it, probably. But you could have something to get fundamental about. <laughs> if nobody else cares, it doesn't really work. <laughs> so when we talk about faith in the triple gem, it's not supposed to be belief in the triple gem. You know, some fundamentalist 
we're all Buddhist, everybody else is wrong. <laughs> Though naturally that can occur. <laughs> yeah, so belief is different from faith. Uh, yeah. belief, but faith is actually a sign of one's got some kind of ground. To the ability to, to, to entertain or explore uncertainty with a, oh, this could be something in here that I could, yeah, I could learn from. You know, you've got to have some ground to be able to make such a such a movement, really. So faith is a sense of the, there might be something good here. Now, to be able to say that, you have to some fundamental ground. It may not be that rock solid, but perhaps something, ins- we say something inspired me. You know, I saw this very peaceful person or this uh, heard this lovely chanting or read a book or something, oh wow, this this person's standing on truth. I mean, they didn't even think it, he didn't, he didn't know what was going on, but something gave you a sense of resonance of, oh yeah, you know, there's somebody who's not, or something doesn't encourage grasping, fundamentalism, aggression, proving, believing, dominating, you know, and yet this somehow it seems very secure. Aha, uh-huh. you know, and then that, what's that about? So that movement uh, is a sense, I have some faith now, there could be something I could move into that I don't know yet. Yeah, I don't know it, but I could move into it. So that's that's the movement of faith, it's that sense of there could be, and it moves into something like, uh, it could be for me as well. Not just, she's wonderful, but it could be for me, because this person's human, and they, you know, I, I get it. They talk about human things. Oh, maybe for me, a little bit, you know. So then the inspiration comes, aspiration, inspiration, and then as we begin to explore that, we feel a sense of growing. Yeah, yeah, I get a bit of that sometimes. Yeah, a little bit more solid ground, and eventually this this forms into conviction. You know, for someone who really has deep realizations, yes, it has to be this way. It becomes unshakable. Now, faith in the triple gem as an antidote to doubt means that, first of all, one has that sense of, well, you know, when you you um, consider these, this uh, awakened one, living, penniless, homeless, vulnerable, unsheltered, out in the wilds of India, wandering around, you know, saying these amazing things, or a few amazing things, and looking pretty, look, it seems to look, always look pretty cool about it. Well, that's, you know, here am I hanging on to all this stuff, and I feel scared, witless. <laughs> What's that? You know? And then particularly, I think for most people, you see even the image of the Buddha. So I think for myself, just the Buddha images, I think I first saw them when I was about 15 or 16, Oh, what's that? You know, such dignity and calm and poise. Of course, it's just an image, but, oh, you know. Someone who's not preaching, shaking their fists, running around, proving themselves, dignified, gentle. That's an interesting sign. So sometimes it's like that. The Dhamma is probably, you know, where most people nowadays get their their shot of... of, uh, you know, what it, what it invites, a way of personal realization. We go, oh, yeah, we are invited into, not a belief system. Pers- in yourself, but, you know, pachatang, realize within oneself, uh, not delayed in time. And it's based upon qualities that we can all nod our heads to, you know, generosity, sharing, non abuse. Um, you know, peacefulness and wisdom. I think, yeah, this all adds up, doesn't it? And it's not in conflict with anybody else or other systems. So we feel that sense of that. Sangha, human beings in all their humanities and vulnerabilities and frailties can follow this. Yeah. yeah and it's all, they're also quite. You know, there's a human individuality to it, but we can all, you know, human beings can all, can, we can follow this, we can, it's livable. 
And then, so, you know, when we get to get this, he said, yeah, there's a ground here, like an exemplar, a model, uh, something that can be done, and people like myself who do it, you know. Um, you know, of course, they, you know, they stumble, but they, they, they can, they, they're in this, and we're in this together. That's a nice sense of community, which isn't all we cheerleaders and waving things in the air. <laughs> Uh, so that gives one room to enter and it's lovely quality to, to sense of sangha is that there's, no, there's nobody running around trying to enlist people in it in any of it, you know certainly not monastic sangha you know, we're always trying to keep people out of it <laughs> <laughs> so you really want to do this? sure? well just wait a little longer till, it, till the mood passes, you know <laughs> Because you want to be really, really, you know, get, I want to get in there, you know. Okay, you want to get in there, right. Boom, there goes your hair, whoop, there goes your money, whoop, there goes your clothes. <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> I tried to stop you. <laughs> there goes the fun, you know. <laughs> so it's certainly not, you know, trying to drag people in so that's kind of nice as well I think, well you know it really encourages this individuality you move at your own speed and that's nice that gives one sense of faith and you you know some of the things that the Buddha said also just remarkably just about his own teaching this is just a raft you know spent all these years you say well it's you know it's just a raft to get you across the other once you've got the other side forget about it <laughs> You know, you, or you don't need to carry it around as a set of fixed rules and dogmas. That's a pretty amazing thing for a person to say about their own their own life's work. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so such such immense generosity of spirit uh, and respect in that. Yeah. So this definitely gives one a feeling of a ground that is livable, that you find your own way on. It's it's not a a dogmatic position it's a sense of find your way with that the encouragement to find your way with that and therefore one's faith is is gently allowed to grow in its at its own rate yeah. so then there can be the doubts about well you know it sounds all good but I don't think I can do it after all I'm only you know I've got all these nittering thoughts and defilements and stuff and no way I can do this so I mean, certainly, you know, I never thought I could do do this very much, but I thought, you know, I'll have a go, and uh, I always admired admired it, but I never thought I could actually get very far in it. <laughs> but I, <think laughs> I thought, so you got something better to do? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> done it. <laughs> Uh, and then it's just a sense of which even one sees one's kind of stuck places and frustrations and no-go areas, you think, oh, yeah, I just can't. Just even just admire it. Just admire the, the beauty of it. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing, you know, the triple gem. And how you can just admire it. So, well, I, I can't really achieve it, but at least I can, I can love it and enjoy it and admire it. And then I can offer my respects to that. So then the devotional sign I think really helps with the faith aspect. Because it's not certainly not we believing in it, but I do I do respect and admire and I'm touched by this beautiful example. And I want to somehow if I can't do it myself, at least I can participate in it <laughs> to the extent I can be a supporter of that, you know, with my body in mind. And I can I can do that. And then that gives one a sense of, in some way I'm then received into that, that field of, of the triple gem. You know, and that's always a sense in which, you know, it's a funny thing, you know, bowing and chanting and offering flowers and things on the outside. You know, but then, um, you know, it's uh, in terms of the feeling in the heart of something worthwhile that I can actually bow to. <laughs> that's 
good. I enjoy that sense of something I can bow to, you know, <laughs> rather than have to prove I'm good enough all the time. So that that then I think increases to myself, increases the receptive aspect of our being, where so much emphasis in our lives is placed upon the active aspect, what I can do, what I can make happen, how well I can, so forth. And yeah, that's part of what we are, we're doers. But it seems to me that largely because of the working life and the sort of, a, you know, that model, which most people are pretty much tethered to, the doing aspect is highly, 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 highly overcharged. So people eventually have to just get rigid with it, you know, <laughs> and and strapped by it, and so pressurized they start to seize up under the emphasis under the doing quality. Uh, so in that state, you just can't really difficult to meditate because you're just so tight and so pressurized and so desperate about it all that it's really difficult to do, and you know. And then you can see, I, I understand this, it all makes sense, you know, I really want to do it, I can't do it. I'll try another method, do this, uh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we lose faith, because we can't do. But then the quality of, of the devotional side is, well, I can't do, but I can receive. I can receive the beauty of the sacred, that there is this quality in humans and there is this quality around in the world and it, uh, you know, I can at least receive it and enjoy the beauty of that. And that that itself is, uh, um, you know, really helps to just say, you know, some of this is not about what you do. Doing is part of it, but it's hugely overstressed for people. You, I don't think you can really properly do in a balanced way unless you learn how to receive. And receiving, not feeling you're needy or inadequate or pathetic or, you know, po- po- impoverished just because there's something beautiful to receive here that's being freely offered and, you know, you, you can do it at your own rate and then it makes you feel good. So that enhancement of the receptive and the tendency just to turn down the voltage on the doing can bring us back to a, a happier balance where we do feel some sense, oh now, yeah, I see, now I can do and also listen. Now I can do a small thing and also receive the effects of that. Ah, this is, this is Dhamma practice, I can do it. You know, but unless there's a receptivity, it's all, well, how good did I do? It was referring our doing to these theoretical grades, you know, how good did I do? Well, in what, what do you mean? Is there some sign up in the sky that lights up? Well done, bing, bing, bing. (laughs) (laughs) It's all theory, isn't it? (laughs) It's all just virtual success, it's just a virtual reality. It means nothing, really. <laughs> yeah, is it? What success? What's happiness? What's beauty? Yeah. And that arises through this lovely quality of the, the ability to receive and receive the beauty around, you see, and then receive it, start to sense one action one does. That's, that's, very, that's beautiful. I think the times when I found it extremely difficult to meditate, then I, I really just did a lot, quite a lot of chanting, because I could do it. And I liked the sound of it, and it made me feel good. And after a while, my, my perspectives on life got that simple. <laughs> Forget about enlightenment, Aryapugalas, and so forth. <laughs> I just start to feel good <laughs> about myself. That's, I'll start there. <laughs> 
and you do something simple, I can offer a candle and feel the beauty of that gesture. And then, yeah, I have some self-respect. I can keep a precept. Ah, you know. So then we begin to recognize, yeah, there is doing, but, you know, you can do so much, huge amounts, unless there's a receptive, it, don't, it doesn't land anywhere. You know, it just goes off into the virtual reality or into the bank or something. But if the receptive is there, then even small doings, oh, that's, that's lovely. So then this is, this, this is where the balance of Dhamma comes from. And then one feels, yeah, th- now this is about right. Ah, and you see you have confidence, but the confidence shifts. In a way, it's is felt in oneself, certainly. But the confidence isn't, is much more in Dhamma, in the beauty, the balance of Dhamma. And you want to just try and align to that process, you know, of right action, right thought, right speech, and so forth. And let that certainly comes through the person, but in a way it's not really the person doing it. It's the Dhamma coming through the person. So that gives one a confidence which isn't about arrogance or about I am I am now at this stage, you know? Because that is there's nobody at this stage. <laughs> and so that that's true confidence. And then it always it's always accompanied by a sense of personal humility and modesty because it's not mine. I am blessed that beautiful things happen through me. I am deeply grateful for that. So then the doing and the receiving find a balance and uh, that's that's the harmony of it all. So in terms of, so that also covers karma, you see. Karma is action. So um, we begin to, the more that we get the sense of how how our actions, you know, because again, I've noticed myself in many cases, people do a lot of good, good things, and they still feel rotten about themselves because they keep picking away at their weak spots. They don't really... Um, you know, places where it, it could be, you know, why it wasn't so good, or, you know, or even imagine bad things about themselves, which nobody else is thinking. <laughs> so, you know, that's why it's, it's um, you know, karma and clear and conscious action in its own, if it's held properly in this receptive way, because you can do good and not still not feel good. To do good, very simple word, isn't it? But to do anything skillful and then be there receiving it, then you get it. And one begins to have faith because the receptive is what gives you faith, not the active. The active gives you pride, maybe. It doesn't give you faith. Alone, if the there's a, the active moderated by the receptive, then you get faith in in this uh, skillful actions. I hope some of that's useful. <clears throat> so, some questions here about chitta. <laughs> All right. First of all, what is it? And then there's a nice one here about uh, squirrels, I think, somewhere. Oh, do chipmunks (laughs) and trees have chitter? (laughs) Are they made of chitter? Okay. Best things to ask one, I think. (laughs) And is the consciousness named in the skandhas or kandhas the same as chitter? Or part of chitta. And please can you clarify the interface between the confused chitta and personality? Well, what is chitta? <coughs> I wonder if, if I just put 
give you some more words whether you'll say, well, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, so it's in, it's in the kind of process of words and experience, you know, and using quite a few words and then trying to tap into actual direct personal experience that these things start to, to land, you yeah. <laughs> So citta, one way, say, with a very direct experience of I, me, subjectivity, before an object, before I become an image, the sense of something touches citta. So it's not really a thing. Well, you know, is, it, is that a thing? Is it a moment? A moment in consciousness when the, the light comes on, something trembles, something gets it, citta. And, uh, yeah, so its primary quality is it's aware, there's the ability to receive impressions. It's uh, associated with the immaterial, you know, so, so you could say it's, a, it's in mind consciousness. Sometimes it's seen as synonymous with mind consciousness, but it, there is a subtle difference. The ability to be aware and also, so in a way it's everywhere that one is able to be aware of an experience. You must have chitta, must be there, but you can't see it because that's the one that's seeing, like you can't see your eyes. And uh, for most people, the experience of jitta is a kind of a, a movement, a resonating quality associated with uh, an emotional tingle or emotional vibration, and then some kind of response or action, some impulse, which could be feel hungry, feel disturbed, feel annoyed, feel happy, boom. That's the, that's the impulse that comes, where does that come from, that comes from chitta. It doesn't come from your eyes or your ears, it comes from your chitta. <coughs> now whereas mind consciousness can be seen just as a as a structure, that is the ability to to cognize, you know, in other words, form concepts, form immaterial objects, form internalized experience, you might say. We see something and it's internalized or seemingly internalized I get it yeah and mind consciousness is that which does that it it uh, relates the sights and sounds and so forth and it gives a sense of this becomes present for this is now present now it's engageable with now it's cognizable so there's some way in which Consciousness gives a sense of being with something seen or heard. And uh, jitta is the subjective resonance of that experience. How it gets me. How it touches me, how I'm moved. We could say it's that quality. Uh, and it's like a but when we contemplate that quality, we can see it's actually quite a quite a complex uh, range of qualities. There's anxiety, fearfulness, uh, eagerness, enthusiasm, warmth, fear, terror, guilt, all kinds of qualities packed in seemingly into that little subjective experience, as you probably recognize. And from that trembling arise all kinds of what are called mind states, dumb, you know, so mind states then in a way create a stasis out of a resonance so we have a resonance of uncertainty and then oh I'm, an, I'm anxious I'm so worried and then we start to resonate with that created object right so mind states are not they're kind of resonances which become more, more static they're not actually static but they are they're less evanescent than just the resonance. Mm. So they, they occupy a certain kind of reality, like I'm angry, you know. What does that actually mean? Well, it means there's a continual pumping of energies, there's a uh, heating in the body, there's a, 
a particular uh, quality of arousal with a certain intention to defend or attack, you know, it has that, that quality to it, whether we act upon it or not, it's a flaring up. So there's a whole range of effects that occur packed into that one particular word, the mind state. Uh, and as that occurs, then jitta recognizes that and probably keeps resonating with it. You know, and it's resonating because it experiences something threatening. So, so it and it keeps experiencing it. And if you notice, you have these angry moods. This perception of this person locks in the mind or the indignity, and then this keeps pumping. This anger keeps pumping up, and it kind of oscillates, but it, it remains fed by a perception. You know, perception is what touches chitta. Actually, it doesn't get touched by sights or sounds. It gets touched by interpretations of sights or sounds. I see that kind of yellow stuff off there, and I think fire nice and warm. But then if it comes too close to me, I think fire dangerous. Same stuff, you know, <laughs> perception. It's not the eyes, it's what the, how the mind interprets it. Uh, and then that can change from happy, fire at, you know, 10 feet away in a fireplace, to frightening, fire two inches away from me, no fireplace. You know. So the object, <laughs> what's the object? The object is very dependent, isn't it? It's dependent upon how it's perceived, as we all probably recognize in some way or another. And we certainly do this with the other people, how he or she is perceived at a certain time. And sometimes she frightens me or bothers me, and sometimes she gladdens me or comforts me, and you know, going on. Perceptions, and then chitta is triggered. So that's chitta too. <laughs> chitta is that which is triggered by perceptions and generates these, these impulsive qualities that surge and and create mind states which then become the source of further activation and so forth and the patterning of those mind states and the activations get seem to be me and that's another inference because this is all subject chitter is subjective Subjective. So whatever arises in the subjective realm becomes an object called me, an I am object. So this always chitta. Perceptions <coughs> and of course the feeling tones that go along with those. This is chitta. So chitta is affected by love or hate. It is affected by you know, ethical qualities is affected by, also it can be considered to be contracted or constricted, and also it can be considered to be expansive. So we might recognize that when we say, yeah, I feel in a really expansive mood, jitter is feels expansive. What makes me expansive? Generosity, kindness, warmth, friendship. What makes me constrict, jitter feels constricted? Pressure, tightness, no space, you know, that. You definitely feel that, right? What's that? That's jitta. <laughs> that experience. And it seems so much me because it's subjectively experienced. But actually it's just jitta being affected in a certain way. Now much of the practice of Buddha Dhamma is to learn is to, is twofold. One is to is to generate skillful perceptions through skillful actions and skillful associations and comradeship and so forth. So we start to have jitter experiences which are conducive, which is, uh, bring around qualities of love and compassion and eagerness and inspiration and determination and so forth. Uh, and those are mind states and they're generated. You know? So again, these are another kind of conditioned phenomenon conditioned by jitta, but it's better than a, a lot of things. <laughs> a lot better than a lot of things. <laughs> and these are considered helpful because they take, they, they give rise to more expansive and calm and more assured jitta.
And uh, then the other cultivation is when we begin to more fully, when the chitta becomes much more fully uh, open and expanded and some of its really uh, negative, constrictive perceptions and fears and agitations are quelled or or dissolved. It's become, then, ah, then it encourages a sense of inquiry, what's this, who is this, or how is this? And the quietening of these mind states, or the energies that generate them, which are called sankharas, it's nobody, this isn't somebody here after all. Oh. There's no, so there's nothing to hold, nothing to own, nothing to store up, nothing to acclaim, nothing to defend, protect, shield. Jitta doesn't have to keep activating. The jitta then is called released, and it become it. You can't say much about it really because it doesn't. It, that the resonances are allayed. And it's um, unbound. Now, you know, though that may seem, well, that sounds a bit flat and boring, but I don't think anybody's experience has ever regretted it. Said, oh, dang it, I went and got enlightened when it ruined my day. No, they, they generally thought this is really good. <laughs> Worthwhile. So that's, there she goes, that's Chitta. That's another way I can put it. I don't know about chipmunks. <laughs> but you might say in some kind of rudimentary sense that there's something that's something happening there. The confused jitter and the personalities, <coughs> you know, when you look at it in, in, in real terms rather than just in theory, that... that um, you know, a, 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 one who comes into birth, or the experience of, be, of being of birth, then we are, then citta is open to the sense realm, which is always associated with separateness, and and also, um, you know, there's food out there, and there's also tigers out there, so it's both anxious and hungry. Uh, <laughs> In all, on all levels, that's the fundamental qualities of it. Yeah. Uh, however subtle those resonances are, uh, and that's just what that's. So that's called the basis of uh, birth, you know. And that's that's means there's a this film of bias is already laid over the chitta of sense of separation from the loved, um, not getting what one wants. Uh, uncertainty, insecurity, you know, so there's this film of bias is, is already laid over the chitta. And, you know, how did that happen? Well, you know, getting born really wasn't such a good idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so there was some kind of what they call a vija, or making a wrong, you know, wrong error, or making a mistake, because it didn't have the the real clarity, you know, to, to to the unboundness of it all, so it, it seeks this. So, so so it's naturally in this birth. It's naturally got some elements of basic uh, basic confusion or basic agitation, you might say. In that agitation, and then it keeps orienting towards this apparent world that it experiences in terms of sense contact and it starts orienting around that and it, all those messages become much more you know affirmed yeah there is you can get really bashed around here and there are some good stuff you could get hold of and other people have got it and uh, so you, then this jitta starts getting really stirred up in those in those patterns and at the same time it uh it seeks stability, you know, which means safety. And they get confused because you're trying to find safety in something that isn't actually safe. Yeah, it could be made safe temporarily, but you never know. It could fall down, couldn't it? 
So this, trying to operate within this, it, it's actually looking for the wrong thing, the right things in the wrong places. So it gets confused. And as it um, keeps doing this, and it's inter- particularly when it interfaces, as it does, so, so constantly with other human beings, then it's constantly seeking, well, what will make me okay with him or her? How will I not find it difficult with him or her? It's doing that. And has she got something that would be nice for me to have or to get to? So there's this constant, ooh, and then, you know, what are other people doing? So I want to fit in all the kind of personality stuff. And the personality gets, the chitta then forms its personality as some kind of set of programs to operate in this human world. And they're all based essentially on, on contact, you know, simple binary system. This one you've got a scolding for, this one you've got a candy for, you know, <laughs> on all kinds of levels. So it's a simple binary system that's, that's operating all the time and the personality forms essentially around that and, uh, and one way or another. And of course it can form into, well, forget all those, shut them all off, sociopath, because I just can't handle all this stuff. And then it hardens into that. But then we still have innate, innate anxiety of being. So we try to then, person who seals them off from other people then seeks those safety in beliefs, dogmas, idiosyncrasies, narcissism, whatever. You know, they still seek those same qualities. They can't find it there either. But never mind, you know, Tathagata has arisen in the world who says, you know, for those who wish to be trained, <laughs> there is a way out of this. And it's often through, you know, actually coming into some chitta, recognizing that which flickers and wavers and seems so, you know, insecure. Actually, it's like a wild creature. You must treat it with respect and... The personality is going to do all kinds of funny things. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's just a set of programs firing and they can go really strange. But just <clears throat> cultivate the quality of awareness, which is a jitta property. Be aware of it, of sympathy. Be patient, be gentle, be compassionate towards that. And then these programs fire and they, what arises through them, the sankara, arises, subsides, arises, subsides, arises, subsides. And if it does that often enough, you begin to get the message, this isn't really a person, this is a sankara. It's, it's a condition. And that's immensely, immensely re- remedial. Yeah. Okay, one more. <clears throat> so that's, you know, it's a jitter is sort of within the aggregates, but also can be liberated from the aggregates. That's the simple um, um, solution of that one. Now, where are we having? Oh, samadhi. Samadhi deepens subject-object distinctions start to fade. So does the sense of having a body. feels a bit unsettling to lose touch with body sensations and the jitter starts to get a little bit spooked. Any advice on maintaining a steady jitter at this point? Well, this is why it's good to focus on the energy body, the somatic stuff, because by and large the breathing sensations tend to subside and even the sense of the... the um, Physical sensations start to fade out, but then one is left with a kind of, if you've entered, if you've touched into the somatic presence, that doesn't fade, it softens and becomes more luminous, and perhaps less clearly recognizes a body, but it's a, it is a kind of body, it's a subtle body. And we, we may not call it a body because it's not flesh and bones, but it is a uh, it's a body and it's in it, in it, 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 a presence there, and it, it manifests as a kind of a 
subtle luminosity, um, warmth, subtle subtle body, uh, and it's <coughs> so then that the mind, the chitta, can then tune in tune into that. Uh, and if we we stayed with that, then that subtle body is also partly we might say generated through the qualities of of happiness and firmness that the jitta is 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 infused with so it's a sort of because it's a mind body but it's it's a bit of both really and then uh so if you if you you know if, if that isn't there then yes you 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 you're not really in a proper kind of samadhi you know, it's not an uncomfortable state. You want to have some sense of presence and brightness, and eventually, some just even the quality of confidence and stability becomes apparent. The door. What are the doors of the samadhi? These are yeah. So there are the the eleven doors. These are the four jhanas, and these are particular depths of samadhi. And what are called three of the four immaterial um, domains that can be entered from fourth jhana. That's it. And I'm not going to go into what those are because. Uh, you're probably not there yet. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking the question. <laughs> so, where are we now? Oh, this one. <clears throat> you said something about sep- how separating oneself from experience, becoming 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 the observer the meditator is a big problem yet viveka sounds similar stepping back from experience and it's a good thing can you elucidate the difference <clears throat> well i think in a way that when you wrote this in a way you kind of pointed it out separating oneself from experience becoming the observer so there's a sense in which you know the quality of, of um, you know the the jitta has sort of moved from experience into a sense of well here I am watching what's going on and it's that it's that becoming one has become something there's a becoming energy has taken over to to give a sense of a subtle psychological self I am watching what's going on. Yeah. That that's one that's one thing can happen. Probably does happen for us, and isn't entirely as it's a big problem. It's um, yeah, there are worse things, but it it can be a it can be a a place where it blocks because the observer can also get lose empathy. He's just watching what's going on. Isn't isn't really handling things very well. You just want to watch things pass by like watching trains or something you know you don't actually feel any any sense of specific handling of of phenomena um, and also the observer can get a bit bored with observing and the observer can turn into being critical as well when it observes unskillful states so an observer then starts observing other people in similar ways uh, so this this uh form is is problematic viveka is 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 less fully separated it's separated as then it doesn't actually activate in other words we might be experiencing a mood or a thought or a sensation and maybe our normal response is we just activate it activates us we get going on it we fight with it we enjoy it we proliferate around it well, that's one extreme. Viveka means we notice it, we don't react to it, we don't get engaged with it, we don't fight with it, we don't struggle with it, we, we sort of stay in the presence of that. We're with it, but not in it. We're with it and we feel 
And so there's an f- ability to feel, oh, it's like this. So that feeling quality is where we really learn. Yeah? We learn from directly feeling experience. Now, if, if we draw further, then we, we lose some of the direct feeling quality and turn into observing things. And then the empathic responsiveness um, diminishes. Now, the level of viveka, there's an empathic responsiveness that's always present as a natural faculty. Yeah. Like when you put your hand on something hot, you don't have to observe the heat. You immediately, oh, it hurts, and you jump away, don't you? Because there's naturally, there's an immediate response. Um, yeah, and if you're f- somebody's having st- some stress and you just hold their shoulders and say, just okay, well, here I am, then they begin to calm down. You don't give them a lecture on impermanence or just, well, observe the fear, rising and passing. No, you, you some contact where people, a person can feel some sense of it. I'm with that, but at the same time, I'm not in the fear. And so that's being with, but not in. And that's, that's Viveka. Really fine place. And the, the responses then are quite intuitive. You know, there's, it can be a natural sharpening, or put that aside, or don't bother with that, or what's needed here. Without thinking about it, there's a sort of sense of just like when we hold something in our hands properly, you know how much pressure you have to put on that object. If it's an eggshell, or if it's an iron bar, or if it's a chipmunk, you know, you know, your hand knows how to hold it from responding to what that thing's about. Now that's that's Viveka. Now the properly observe is well, it's another phenomenon. So you hold an eggshell and an iron bar and a chipmunk in exactly the same way because you've learnt it. You say, okay, oh, I need to put some more meta into this one. So where's the meta? Okay, here's a meta, donk, and you dump some meta on it. But it's very much figured out, and it, it isn't really the real thing. It's an idea of kindness. And it's not quite accurate. So there, there's the, the accuracy of, that comes from Viveka is, is, is part of its beauty. Yeah, and so the observer, you know, should be is quite good at object discrimination, but it's not very good at subjective handling. And I guess you know these are not black and white, but there can be a, a kind of gradation where one becomes more, you know, too engaged or perhaps too disengaged, and you're trying to find your way with that. I think that'll do for the evening. Yeah. Okay.